0: Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. We're in Matthew chapter 5. We've had the new community, the new society on earth, that Jesus is forming, week one. We've had the new law, and how Jesus thinks about and interprets the law. And now we have a new love. And this very, very famous passage, which Franny is going to read to us. So over to you, Franny. Yep. Hi, guys. Um, So once again, we're just on Matthew chapter five, verses 38 through 48. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Yeah, so I'm just going to pray for Matthew real quick before we begin. So, yeah, let's pray. Heavenly Father, yeah, just thank you for gathering us again today um, as a Christ City Church community. We know that things look a bit different right now, but we're just so grateful to you that we can gather and just worship your holy name today, Lord. We pray for Matthew today as he shares your word um, and that you fill him with your spirit to really, yeah, just impact and fill our lives with these words of love, Lord. We ask that you guide him in his talk today, and he really feels your presence, Father. As we hear about our, as we hear about loving our enemies and what we are called to do when we face evil desires to retaliate or lash out against our neighbors, just open our hearts, Lord Jesus, um, and allow us to hear your word and your calling to peace and love for everyone we encounter. In His precious name, Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Franny, thanks a million. Appreciate that. So today, guys we are going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5. And so the the reading was from 38 to 48. We're going to be looking at the four verses from 38 to 42. And as we study that, uh, it's my hope and prayer and dream, that kind of verses 43 to 48 will be put into context and become so much more real and weighty than before. So listen, if I haven't met you before, then I'm Matthew. Uh, I'm on the staff team here at Christ City Church. And I'm really excited about today's message. I uh, I hope each of you are currently staying positive and testing negative. And if so, then that'll be really, really great. Um, guys, I, I, I don't know, have you ever thought about, about getting back at somebody, gaining revenge or giving them a taste of their own medicine? Uh, if you say no, then you're probably a liar. And if you say yes, then you're just like me. Um, I, I remember as a kid, having, having these two friends, Stephen and Shane, two brothers, and they won't even mind me saying this, and they used to fight all the time. And it was amazing because I got to be in the middle of it. And whenever one brother picked on the other one and left one brother crying, then I was like, oh, no, mum's coming. OK, you, you get a free hit. You get a free hit. And it's just this idea of uh, you can get revenge so that we're equal, so that we're, uh, we're both in the same, same playing field. Um, guys, I don't know if you've ever heard of this name before. It's called Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini. So if you haven't heard of him, then he is an Olympic track record holder. He's a guy that enlists uh, for, for the war during World War II and his plane is shot down. He survives 47 days in a life raft and he's eventually captured by the Japanese as a prisoner of war. And so in a in film that was released in 2014 called Unbroken, this whole film documents this, this man's amazing resolve in not retaliating for the abuse that he faces. You can see on the PowerPoint, uh, this is Louis on the, on the left, and, and the guy on the right is called The Bird, and he, he's, he's evil, he's so strict, and he, and he abuses Louis, something shocking. And, and, you know, whenever I watched this, it brought me to tears where I was able to watch this man who did not retaliate despite opportunity to. And, you know, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount actually has plenty to reveal about our hearts and the exercise of our rights. Louis had the right to, to retaliate, yet he didn't. And so the, the big idea today is that we want to come to terms with the logic of the gospel. What is the gospel? And so the the logic of the gospel, it's a logic where a life of obedience is produced by a transformation of the heart. Once again, it's where a life of obedience is produced by a transformation of the heart. It's not where we seek to obey the law and eventually we're considered righteous of heart, but rather we're considered righteous in God's sight. And because of that righteousness, we're motivated to obey the law. Not that we strive for the kingdom, but once we've entered into the kingdom, the power of that kingdom is released in our lives. And our lives are transformed and blessed, as in the Beatitudes. So the impact that we make is different. We become salt, we become light. We are distinct people living distinct lives. So as we approach today's text, we consider that that Jesus has taught this to those who were already in, to those who were already followers, as a means of equipping and shifting their mindset one from away from the kingdom of earth towards the kingdom of God. So remember, remember this, the law was given uh, to Abraham, the law was given then to Moses that Israel, God's chosen people, would be a light to the nations, would be a holy nation, would be set apart and would be God's most treasured possession. But yet, here, here they are. They're a nation in captivity. They're full of religious externals, and they're very much like the nations around them. They're very much like the Romans. They're very much like the Roman Empire. And so here's a little bit of context then in the Old Testament. So in Matthew 5, 38, Jesus now says, again, you can see it in the Bibles, or um, if you have a Bible in front of you, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Nothing strange there. Jesus is referring to the Old Testament law, but notice that he doesn't say, you have seen it was written. He says it this way because it's long been misapplied by the religious leaders. The religious leaders have softened the law of God as a means to increase their rights and lower their responsibilities. And you might be asking now, what's the problem? So that this statement from the Old Testament is one of the best known statements but it was being misapplied to personal relationships. And this is key. So what what this part of God's law was meant to do was provide a principle of justice, i.e. the punishment should fit the crime. So it was a law that was given to place a limitation on revenge, and it was also a law given to control excesses so that the punishment can fit the crime. We, We get that, but it was a principle intended to govern legal relationships that people have with one another, it was never a principle to be applied to personal relationships, to the, the relationships with Stephen and Shane, where you hurt me, so I hurt you again, we're all, we're all equal. It was never a principle to be applied to personal relationships. So it was to be used in the court of law and society rather than personal relationships. And you might be asking, so, so what? So here's a Jewish interpretation. The Jews made the Old Testament teaching on retaliation personal, rather than something for the law courts. So it was meant to be a broad principle for the nation, but then it was personalized for everyday life. And they felt that it was their personal duty to retaliate when someone did them wrong. It was uh, an, an exercise of my rights. Doesn't it sound so familiar, an exercise of my rights? So how is Jesus related? Let's look at the text. Jesus relates it this way. He responds with four specific situations. His first response is in the realm of relationships. If you look at verse 39, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you in the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Since left-handedness was deemed a weakness and even a disability back in them they I'm left-handed. A slap on the right cheek, so a slap on the right cheek, would be coming from the right hand. So the right-handed slap the cheek comes in the form of a backhand. So any tennis gurus here will automatically recognize this. So in other words, uh, a slur, a put-down, the the grossest of insults. And Jesus is saying, in relationships, people will put you down, not necessarily physically, but verbally, they'll put you down, they'll run you to the ground. They'll fabricate half-truths to damage and malign your character. If anyone slaps you in the right cheek, Turn to them the other cheek also. Wow. Jesus is saying, stand where you are. Allow yourself to be insulted. Don't rise to it. One of the problems, church, that I have with difficult countercultural actions like this is seeing it lived out. One of the problems is seeing it lived out. Yeah, it's all well and good somebody saying that, but I want to see what that looks like on the ground. Isn't Jesus a great example? The one who would be spat on, the one who'd be mocked, the one who, who would be whipped, who would be beaten, the one who was given every opportunity to lay claim to his rights and lay claim to his deity, didn't. The one who's given every opportunity to lay claim to his rights and they didn't. The antagonist thinks that they've triumphed, they've won the war of words, that, that they're the victor, they have shot you down, you have no response, you have no comeback, you have nothing to win them with. Yet there is a seed of doubt sown when you don't retaliate like they think you will. Their thinking suggests, how could they have responded to me without retaliation and anger? And here's a glimmer of Jesus. We do not need to exercise the right to self-pity. We don't need to exercise the right to self-pity. When we avoid the need to exercise self-pity, we don't just deny ourselves a chance to retaliate justly, but they also open the door of opportunity for the kingdom of God to be manifest. You know, we're no different from the world when we try to justify ourselves to the extent of we will do whatever it takes to win the argument, to make ourselves heard, to make sure the other person knows we're no different from the world. When we exercise our right to self-pity, we close the door to a countercultural kingdom that that wants to invade our relationships. We close that door off altogether. We do not need to exercise the right to self-pity. And then Jesus goes on in the second responses in the realm of lawsuits. Look with me at verse 40. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. So Jesus uses the example of an, an unbeliever taking a Christian to court for an unjust reason. So if this is the case, then the underlying principle is that the Christian isn't to have a spirit of revenge or bitterness. So the coat is the outer garment; the shirt is undergarment. We know that. It's all well and good. If a man sues for the shirt, don't be afraid to give him the coat as well. What's that saying? The Christian isn't to have a revengeful heart because God will take care of him. Give him the coat as well. Why? You know what? God will take care of you. God will take care of you. Sure, you could fight this tooth and nail. You could go the whole way. You could perhaps get acquitted and justice could be done. But how are you any different from the rest of the world? You know, only a few minutes before, Jesus taught in these beautiful attitudes that his followers should take on, that that they may be the salt and light of the world. The opportunity to retaliate would be justified since you were unjustly wronged. Yet Jesus says, don't just let it go. Offer him even more. You want this for me? Okay, well, how about this also? It's incredibly disarming, guys. The, the, the expression of the law of God actually reveals how much superglue is on our fingers. I don't know how much superglue is on your fingers, church, but are you, are you willing to lay aside your personal rights, trusting that God will take care of you? In the season of lockdown, are, are you willing to let go of some of the societal injustices for the sake of being salt and light? So we don't need to exercise the right now to self-defense. We don't need to exercise the right to self-defense. So what is it right now at this time that you're tempted to fight tooth and nail over? Could it be your, your civil liberty that the Irish government are restricting because of a virus? When retaliation is justified in the world's eyes, what might a kingdom mindset look like? What are some of the battles you needlessly face on a regular basis? Do you ever get tired of seeking the approval of the world, society, your peers? Do you ever find that bitterness and rage are all too common for things that actually have no eternal value? We don't need to exercise the right to self-defence in our personal relationships. And Jesus goes on, verse 41, his third response is in the realm of political situations. Uh, Verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles Remember that the Jews in the first century were under Roman occupation. So it was possible then for someone in the Roman army to forcibly enlist a Jewish individual to carry their belongings for 1,000 yards or a 1,000 paces. The Jews absolutely hated this law. They all had to drop whatever they were doing to accommodate this Roman soldier. There was nothing as dehumanising as this. Simon of Cyrene is a great example of, of a guy who was forced to carry Jesus' cross. How do we respond when we're forced to abide by a law that we absolutely hate? You've counted the thousand paces out, 997, 998, 999, and you, and you turn to the Roman, your, your enemy, and, and you ask, would, would you like me to carry this for another thousand yards? Why? Why? The seed of doubt is sown. How is it possible that this individual has been so contempt to forfeit their personal rights? The first mile is rendered unto Caesar. The second mile is rendered unto God. This is what it truly looks like to go to extra mile church. So we don't need to exercise the right to self sensitivity. The, the the definition of self sensitivity is a person who shows little to no sensitivity towards the feeling of others while exhibiting extreme sensitivity when they're at the receiving end. We see so much of this in social media, it's incredible. Don't we see this so often as well in the political arena and in the business world? We expect others to go the extra mile for us while being happy with providing them with the bare minimum when the shoes on the other foot. And so guys, often nowadays, this extra mile principle is actually flipped the other way around to showcase our talent to sell our product to achieve greatness for us. It's so easy when it serves to benefit us. I I used to work for a mobile network provider called GiftGap. And one of our values in my seven years there was was going the extra mile. And so this idea of extra mile ultimately shaped my monthly bonus. I served the benefit out of this. Therefore, this idea of the extra mile might've been designed to benefit the, the customer or the member, but it was utilized to benefit me. I go the extra mile so that I can get a monetary gain out of it. But yet here we have a commonplace practice where the extra mile didn't seek to serve the follower of Jesus in any earthly way. Instead, it serves as a key to the kingdom. serves as a key to the kingdom. How is it possible that this individual has been so content to forfeit their personal rights? I want to tell you, they knew a saviour who didn't stand on his personal rights. A saviour who forfeited his personal liberties for favour of something even greater. The antagonist in question is, one, a soldier. Two, he's a Roman. Three, he's occupying your country. Four, he's putting a burden on your shoulders. So how do we respond when we're forced to abide by a law we absolutely hate? And I'm going to use the words of safe from our church. And he won't mind me saying this. How do we respond when we're forced to abide by a law that we hate? And he is a guy that has, has walked in this. He, he's walked these shoes. He says, this is my enemy. What can I do to point him to Jesus? The antagonist in question is a soldier, a Roman. He's occupying your country, putting a burden on your shoulders. How do we respond? This is my enemy. What can I do to point him to Jesus. How can I go the extra mile that God may be glorified? You know, Jesus' fourth response, he continues on with this last one. It's in the realm of general requests, or or some people would say, the realm of business. Verse 42, give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You know, the fourth could perhaps be a tribute to the business realm, or even a general request from the non-Christian. And Jesus isn't saying, "Don't, don't be wise and thoughtful. Remember, Jesus also said, don't cast your pearls before pigs. But what he's getting at here is a motivation of the heart. Don't use scripture as an excuse to be ungenerous. It's a thing that happened then, but if I know my heart right now, then I know it's something that can happen now. When we give, we are to do it gladly because a revengeful spirit is not of God. Therefore, we don't need to exercise the right to self-pride. To retaliate with self-pride could be something as simple as saying, well, I've given my monthly direct debit to the local church. I'm not required to help the poor. I'm not required to go any further. I've, I've, I've given my bit. There's a guy who's a folk singer in America called Josh Garrels. He wrote a song called Zion and Babylon. And in it, there's a line that says it's a misappropriation of funds. Protect my 90% with my guns. And it's, it's, very, it's very American, it's for an American context, but it's incredible, it's a misappropriation of funds. I'm gonna protect my 90% with my guns. The self-pride works its way out and knows we decide to help. We, we ask ourselves, do they deserve our help? Or will, will they just go on ahead and squander the five euro I, I give them? When our eyes are glazed over with pride, we discern the worst in others and we miss the chance to give gladly. We can even go ahead and give out of spite, assuming the worst, But our gift will be wasted because we know uh, uh, we have a better heart. And and having a better heart, we deny Christ's rule and reign over that particular situation. What do we do? We snuff out the kingdom opportunity that lies before us. To sum it up, Jesus, four, um, four examples. While the Old Testament made provision for retaliation, the Lord told his disciples not to use it. But he goes even further and he says that they must not only not seek revenge, but they must actually seek the well-being of those who would harm them. Notice what the Lord is really asking the Christians to, to set aside is their self. Set aside self and serve God. Self-pity, self-defense, self-sensitivity, self-pride are all be set aside for the glory of God. And setting these aside, they're freeing themselves from the very chains that will prevent them From what? Loving their enemies, as Jesus goes on to teach. This idea of loving their enemies is entirely predicated and built upon these four verses. So what's our motive? To live like this is impossible and it goes against the bend of our hearts. Unless Jesus does a deep work in us, that gives us the motivation to see his rule and reign in every area of our lives. So therefore, it's only the power of the kingdom of God that work within us that will sustain a life of obedience. It's not my willpower. It's not Matthew's good deeds. It's not Matthew's careful steps. It's not Matthew's A, B, C, and D. Not that at all. It's actually the power of the kingdom of God within us that will sustain a life of obedience. And so as a sermon on the mount develops, it becomes clearer and clearer that the goalposts are so far removed from the hearers that the law is impossible to keep let alone be a tool to be a light to the nations. So obedience can, can only come about through the transformation of the heart and not the external practices. So it's only through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives can we live in a countercultural way to the world. Why? That we might be a light to the world. Jesus makes it so evident, church, that his kingdom is not of the world doesn't describe the same, same values and same standards that are popular or relevant to society. Instead, he prescribes a model of servitude that goes the extra mile. And he later teaches that even loves our enemies. Why? That all would see and believe the way to gain in your life is losing it. That spiritual bankruptcy in this world is of even greater value than gold. That living a life meekly, a life of restraint, will result in an inheritance far beyond what you can imagine, a world in which the first are counted last and the last are counted first. So church, in dying to ourselves, we can identify as Christ. In avoiding retaliation, we can set ourselves up for something even greater. In blessing our enemies and those against us, we display the love of Christ for all to see. The way of the kingdom is countercultural, the response of the world. I want to read a quote by a guy called George Mueller. It'll come up on the screen. George Mueller said these words, there was a day when I died. Died to self, my opinions, my preferences, tastes and will. Died to the world its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame even of my brethren or friends. And since then I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. Wow. You know, church, in verses 38 to 42, these verses, Jesus lays out for his listeners a principle of self-denial, principle of humility that eliminates pride and eliminates self-glory from the pursuit of justice. He's calling his disciples not to make their personal rights the basis of relationship with others, even in relationships with those who are evil. Imagine setting aside your personal rights. Why? For the kingdom of God. And So I want to challenge us what areas in our lives can we die to self-pity, self-defense, self-sensitivity, self-pride? Where can we turn the other cheek? Perhaps it's our online profile, what we do on social media. You know, we can't speak in or near as much nowadays because we're in level five lockdown, but we can be so much more active in social media. So what does our online profile look like? Maybe during level five, Our our heart is to point fingers is to prescribe blame when the restrictions seem unjust and how they affect you. Maybe it's in the home when gaining the upper hand can be easily achieved, making sure your point is heard and understood no matter the cost, so you come out the victor. Maybe it's in a a debate or discussion and you're you're tempted to to respond uh, to an insult with another insult. Perhaps you're working from home. And it's so much easier to hide behind a keyboard. We can say things digitally that we mightn't be able to get away with physically. We can have some of these little underhanded comments that, that we, we know exactly what they're saying, and, and we're saying, saying it in a way in which the tone can get lost, but they know exactly what we're saying. Maybe it's something in your mind that you know you could have done differently, a scenario you could have walked away from, but you chose not to. Or words you wish you could have taken back. Or a time when you've fallen short and you so deeply wish you hadn't. If you're not both, then you're in good company. I want to encourage you that there—that we do not worship someone who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We do not worship one who doesn't know what it's like. We do not worship one who has not already walked the road we are walking. I want you to look at the slide slide. Uh, and look at these incredible verses in Philippians chapter 2. Look with me at these words. Paul wrote these words about Jesus. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality or something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself Nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that was above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow him, tongue and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father, it's incredible. Jesus stooped down from heaven and he met us where we are that he might bring us to where he was. You know thinking back to the film Unbroken you see in this slide Louis Zambrini's lack of retaliation served as a symbol of hope because of the impact it had on, on, on his enemies. He was in the, the concentration camp he was in as a prisoner of war with hundreds of others been worked to the bone And in an incredible act of restraint, he refused to retaliate. He refused to curse his enemies. And in doing so, he gave hope to all his fellow prisoners of war. And then, having that hope, they survived. You know, church, in even greater measure, Jesus' lack of retaliation meant that he chose to put off imminent victory by taking our punishment upon himself. I don't know if you've ever saw The Passion of the Christ, but it is a harrowing, harrowing film. You know, sometimes we, we like to wrap Jesus up as something nice and pretty and, and the cross to be something that's it's actually okay, nice to wear around your necks. But it, it was disgusting. It was vile. It was horrid. And Jesus went there for you and I. Jesus deferred his rights of deity that we could be brought into the fold. In the ultimate act of restraint, Jesus opened the way for us to have access to the fullness of the kingdom of God. And on that cross, Jesus took your sin and took your shame and held out his hand and offered you the hope of his righteousness and eternal life. Just wherever you're at right now, I I would ask that you close your eyes as, as I pray. And if you know Jesus, then and, and that's great. And may he come and continue to rule and reign in your life. And if you don't know Jesus, then, you know, there, there's an opportunity for, for you to you, you could reach out to one of us, send Steve a message, send myself a message. E- email one of us. We would love to chat to you. We'd love to connect with you. But the reality is, this, is that Jesus has come to seek and save those who are lost. You know what, Jesus calls us to come and love our enemies. And for us, we were Christ's enemy and he still died on the cross. So Jesus, I I thank you for your incredible restraint. You could have appealed to your deity. You could have come down and cast a legion of angels to wipe every one of them out who persecuted you. But you chose not to. You chose the cross. And thank you, Jesus, that we can be the benefactor of that. Thank you, Jesus, that that we can inherit the kingdom of God, that the spirit of God can can live in us, that we can be carriers of this hope and carriers of this new reality. So, Jesus, I pray this week that you would equip us, Christ City Church, your followers, to seek and to, to serve you and to make you Lord and King over our lives. I thank you, Jesus, that while we were still sinners, you died for us, that while we were still lost and while we were still far away, while we were still your enemies, you went to the cross for us. So, Jesus, may we be a church and a people who are fit to live lives, not just of no retaliation, but lives in which we can love our enemies well. Why? Because we want to showcase your love to a broken, broken world. In your name, amen. Amen.